Hello and welcome back to Ask an Atheist Anything. This is Andrew Knight hosting this week with Matthew Taylor. And so Matthew and I are swapping mics this week. I'll be uh, playing largely the role of moderator. And coming back for a second show with us is... Uh, Dave Peck, thanks. Hey Dave, Hey Dave. thank you and, and welcome back. Would you mind taking a second to remind the listeners about your background? Sure, so I'm a Christian, have been for a long time. Uh, growing up in a Christian family. I've trained at a theological college, so I have a degree in theology, and for most of my work in life I've been a youth worker, uh, mostly for churches, but also working in schools as well, uh, which is what I'm currently doing. I currently lead a, a Christian charity that works in primary and secondary schools where I live, teaming up with people from local churches to help uh, students explore the Christian faith. And I'm married with two little girls as well. Awesome. So I think this week we are going to discuss the Kalam cosmological argument. But before we get started, I want to take just a couple of seconds and go through some housekeeping details for the podcast. Earlier this week, we got an email from Raj, and Raj has asked whether Ask an Atheist Anything has a Patreon page and a Facebook page, and what he can do to support podcasts. So this is, uh, first of all, a thanks to Raj for writing in. And at this point, we don't have a Patreon page, and we are not soliciting support. However, if you do want to support Ask an Atheist anything in any way at the moment, the best way to do that is to leave us a review in uh, the Apple Podcast app or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Because we're at a point where we want to promote the podcast, but we are not ready to take donations. So we appreciate that people want to support us. And right now, the very best way to do that is to leave us a good review because that helps this podcast get through the massive list of other podcasts like this and move us up so that people find us. So thank you for the willingness to support us and please leave us a review. Next, we were asked about uh, feedback and Facebook. We do not have a specific page for the podcast, but you can find Ask an Atheist Anything and Reason Press on Facebook. So we are Reason Press on Facebook and we hope us. Next, Matthew Taylor has started a new set of uh, content in this podcast feed. So it's Baby Bites from Ask an Atheist Anything. And Matthew, if you want to take a second and tell us about Baby Bites. Yes, Baby Bites is short episodes because we were very much aware that most of the episodes or all of the episodes that we've recorded so far have been an hour, an hour plus and the round table ones being two hours. That's a lot of podcasts to listen to and sometimes people don't have time for that. So we've decided that we'll, we'll add also into the feed shorter episodes. We'll call them Baby Bites because they're, they're short, they're small, they're juicy, I hope. And it it's the same format. We are we address a specific question and we will answer it in around about ten minutes, usually under. First one's already up there, and there'll be another one probably coming along next week after this episode has gone up. That's right. I listened to the first one and I thought it was uh, I thought it was worth the listen, and I'm looking forward to the next one. Occasionally, I may also uh, drop a baby bites into the feed, and uh, like Matthew said, these are very short uh, segments. They're small content that you can listen to on a walk or the way to work. And uh, we hope you enjoy them and we'd like your feedback on them as we go forward. And speaking a little bit more about feedback, uh, you can find Ask an Atheist Anything over at ReasonPress.net. And in the coming weeks, we are revamping the Ask an Atheist Anything page. You will be able to provide better feedback there, to ask questions, potentially to come on the show with us, and to introduce your own comments and get feedback uh, about each show. So with that housekeeping out of the way, let's uh, let's dive in 
into the Kalam cosmological art. Dave, I think the, the biggest proponent of the Kalam, the one that our listeners would recognize the most, is probably William Lane Craig. And is that the argument, uh, is his form of the argument the one that, that you most appreciate when you think about uh, Christianity and the Kalam being a sufficient explanation? Um, perhaps I wouldn't go as far as to say it's enough to uh, to credit Christianity being true, but it, sure. I think it's a strong argument for the existence of God, um, or something very much like God anyway, uh, not necessarily the Christian gods, but yeah, that's the strong argument behind the question I asked in the previous episode, I think, yeah. Would you, so the Kalam is a syllogist, do you have, uh, do you have the argument uh, memorized in such a way that you're willing to repeat the syllogism for us? Yeah, it's, there's two premises, isn't there, and then a the conclusion, I think, so the first premise, yeah, you might have to remind me, um, everything that begins to exist has a cause, isn't it? That's the first right. premise. The second premise is the universe began to exist, and right. that leads to the conclusion, therefore, the universe has a cause. And then William Lane Craig, I mean, that's essentially the argument, the Kalam cosmological argument. And then William Lane Craig himself adds something like, there are certain things we can know logically about such a cause, that it must be, by definition, spaceless, timeless, immaterial, and, and those things. Um, and then he says, those qualities are much like God. Uh, and so he would he would be one possible cause that would fit the bill um, but the Kalam cosmological argument doesn't require you to believe in the Christian God at all it just gets you to the point of saying there's a spaceless timeless immaterial cause back there um, that caused the beginning of the space-time universe um, but uh, the Christian God certainly fits the bill and there might be other possible causes as well right so Matthew I'm I know that you have okay. done go ahead oh, yes you, you guys have done some some research I, I obviously won't pretend to be uh, the world's foremost expert on it because however much preparation I've done there are people who've done more um, I, I think the first thing I'd like to do is obviously let's try and unpack the, the premises and mm-hmm. um, I'd like to focus a little bit on how we define begin to exist uh, mm-hmm. if we um, if we look around around us now what, what can we agree on around us in everyday life that begins to exist for example my, my house my car my properties my child your children even are, are those things that we would generally agree as things that begin to exist um, I would say yes and no and here's where I think the here's where I think the Kalam is um, not a perfect argument either <laughs> so I would say yes and no to that question because uh, whilst we might say a newborn baby began to exist and we can trace it back to the beginning of its life we might disagree about when that life began actually but um, it began um, whilst we can do that we can also say um, it would not have had its beginning were it not for a number of other factors and causes which we probably don't want to go into the grisly details tells of all that do we but um <laughs> no. but yeah um, there are causes you mentioned there, cause so um yeah it's i think it's impossible to find within our space-time universe since its beginning an example of something that uh genuinely began without cause and that and that's the premise i suppose isn't it um, um everything yes, that we I'm... know began to exist has a cause um and our our evidence and our experience are limited to the space-time universe since it's begun it has Yes, and I would I would agree uh, on that. I think there's two ways that you can uh, go on this. Um, the, you could go the hard-nosed way, which I see quite a lot of uh, people uh, take, a lot of atheists take, is that um, you can't even define anything in the entirety of our universe as having begun to exist because all you're doing is you're describing things which are basically atoms rearranged. Yes. So you want to take the examples that I used earlier. Those are just other things that have been rearranged to equal the thing that is. 
is. So um, if you go down that road, mm-hmm. that creates uh, the challenge that that gives to the, the Kalam premise is that within our universe, there is nothing that began to exist. So the, the premise that wherever it begins to exist has a cause can't even be demonstrated because nothing can be demonstrated to begin to exist. Um, so that's one of the options that could be done for premise one. I just wondered mm-hmm. how you respond to that. Yeah, I think there's a sense in which that's right because in the same way as you can't, I would argue, you can't get something from nothing uh, uncaused. Now that there is something, you can't get nothing again. Uh, so like you say, there's this rearrangement of matter that happens all the time. Um, there's that. I would also say, though, that I think we can say with quite a lot of confidence that everything we know in this universe, uh, in terms of space and time and matter and energy, uh, we're pretty confident that that had a beginning. Um, so whilst there are like uh, small beginnings, as it were, within this rearrangement of matter um, since the beginning of the universe, that we do also know that everything finds its ultimate beginning in that big beginning uh, at, at the start yeah. of the space-time universe. So we know that everything, you, on the one hand, you could say nothing really began to exist. On the other hand, we know that it all began to exist uh, in the very beginning. So I think we can talk meaningfully about the big beginning, even though it's a um, unique moment, probably. Yes, you carry on, Andrew. Well, just, just one observation that um, I think we brought up in the last show. While it is true that at the macro level, we are largely talking about rearrangement of atoms to make this thing or that, right? So when we think about making a smartphone or, or a, a Death Star made from Lego building blocks or something mm. of that nature, we're talking about a rearrangement of elements that are here into some useful kind of uh, useful kind of product, right? Like a smartphone or Lego building blocks or whatever. But it is not the case that we see absolutely nothing else uh, being created. Particle-antiparticle pairs are mm. a well-observed, well-defined, uh, repeatable phenomenon that we know happens all the time right now. Mm. And so at least in this, at the subatomic level, we do have particle-antiparticle pairs that come into existence and seem to meet the definition of coming into existence from nothing. Mm. Do we think that um, they really do have no explanation of their beginning to exist? Or do we think that's just scientific stuff we haven't discovered yet and we're expecting to find some kind of cause and some kind of phenomenon there in the natural world? Mm. I mean, I, I would expect it's the latter, isn't it? Scientists are expecting and working hard to discover that there's a, a cause for that phenomenon. Um, well, as a, as a naturalist, I would agree that that's true all the way down. <laughs> so I'm just arguing for the same thing for the ultimate beginning. It well, follows that confirms the first premise, doesn't it? That everything begins that begins to exist. Even yeah, those things we would expect them to have a cause. The, our everyday experience and scientific evidence confirm the first premise. But it may very well be that that cause is a sufficient explanation without introducing a god. So I think sure. if I'm if I read between the lines properly, we're sort of talking about principle of my apologies the principle of sufficient reason, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we discovered, for instance, that cause of subatomic particle pairs coming into existence uh, was whatever it is, yeah. that might uh, equally well be a sufficient reason without a need to appeal to uh, any external prime mover. Sure, I, I'm arguing for a cause right the way through this, rather than that cause being specifically God or the Christian God. Um, so I think we're in agreement. We're, we're saying with the appearance of, uh, with the particle-antiparticle pairs example of things seeming to begin to exist from nothing, we'd both be expecting there to be some kind of 
nanocores that's discoverable at some point. Hope, you know, hopefully science might get us there with that stuff. Um, I'm just saying we can expect reasonably that uh, our universe has an ultimate cause in the very beginning because it, in, in a similar way, began to exist. That doesn't mean that cause is God. It just means there's a definite cause there, a spaceless, timeless, immaterial one, because the space-time universe uh, had a beginning. Yeah, that's. I think you and I disagree there. Though. Oh, okay. And and the reason I think we disagree is because if it is the case that particle antiparticle pairs come into existence mm. at some at some time t, yep. and that is going on. Uh, sorry, uh, this is this is a sort of temporally confusing conversation. But if that happens all the time, yeah. in in the sense that uh, it occurs within the duration of our life, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Some particles are coming into existence. Well, their time of existence starts now. Whenever they whenever they pop in, not at some point back at the Big Bang, for instance. And so I'm not sure that you're you you appear to be appealing to an absolute starting moment that was uh, you know maybe 13.8 billion years ago or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But I see no reason to think that that is the only starting moment. These particle antiparticle pairs that come into existence from nowhere have a starting time that starts whenever they come in. That from our perspective is more recent. And and so I'm not sure that what you think of as a prime mover is close to what I think of as, as the same sort of mover. Yeah, I think I understand that. Um, I, I don't think I agree, though, because the phenomenon that we're describing there, and I know very little about it, but I, I would confidently say there's a cause of that phenomenon within the space-time universe because it's something that's happening within the space-time universe, whereas the beginning of the space-time universe is no, not such a thing, is it? It's the beginning of the space-time universe. That only happened once. Since then, there are other things that may be reminiscent of it perhaps in in this kind of example but it's not it's not comparable because the space-time universe has already begun and so whatever cause we might hope to discover is going to have something to do with our space-time universe you well, can't very well the beginning of the space-time universe though because there wasn't one before that if we could if yeah, yeah, before, summary, so I'm, I'm actually having a couple of issues with my connection i've had a couple of warnings on my phone so i apologize guys uh, you cut in and out a couple of times okay. my fault. um anyway i i think the summary of, of what you're uh, shortcut um, is regardless of what we say about um, uh, quantum fluctuations and whether it's just whether we can accept its waves on the surface of the quantum foam, if the quantum foam can be described as even having a surface or, or whether it's interactions uh, with uh, the Higgs field uh, or whatever, regardless of how we define any of those and whether or not we accept that quantum fluctuations and those particles are genuinely popping into an outer existence, everything boils down to the pre singularity that's, uh, that's uh, resulted in the Big Bang. Right, yeah. and whatever caused that, whatever whatever caused the expansion of that singularity may be the very same thing that is responsible for uh, particle pairs. And so I see no reason to think, for instance, that uh, that the Big Bang is a single event. Now, certainly we are we are wrapped in the universe that we're wrapped in, but I, I'm not sure that we can necessarily conclude that it's the only one of its kind. Um, but from okay. our perspective, I, I think the point though is from, from our perspective it is though, isn't it? Because we've only seen, inverted commas, we can, we can only see, describe or experience the one. Any others that may or may not have happened are so far out of our um, measurements or, or our, our field of examination that they may as well not exist. Sure, although there are uh, there are good reasons to think that a multiverse can exist and we have, uh, we have these particle pairs that do start their existence at some time more recent than the Big 
Okay. And going back to the, um, the, the subject of the show, though, is, is there anything, though, can the Klan cosmological argument help us with this at all in any genuine, meaningful way? Yeah, I think it can. I, I mean, the argument, as William Lane Craig puts it, um, with that first premise, everything that begins to exist has a cause, uh, it refers to everyday experience and scientific evidence confirming the first premise. Um, now, we can, we can quibble over that one quite easily, I think, but I think the overall logic of the argument is about that unique and definite beginning in the finite past that our universe has. We're saying that out of nothing, nothing comes. Logically, out of nothing, nothing comes. Um, so for our space-time universe to have had a beginning, um, I think it necessitates some kind of spaceless, timeless cause. That we, we, no, I mean, none of the three of us during this conversation last time or this time has said anything like um, the space-time universe simply began to exist spontaneously from absolutely nothing without any cause. I don't think any of us actually believe that. We haven't been saying it anyway. Which no, means... but we talked about the possibility of it being self-caused. And I think, if I remember rightly, your, your response was, well, that's still a cause or, or something like that. Um, I may be misquoting you, so I apologise. Sure. I, uh, so um, my objection to self-cause would be it's irrational because it had a definite beginning in the final. Yes, I seem to remember you. Yeah, I, I, I seem to remember that kind of defence. Um, and yeah. I, I think I took us on a, on a journey on a train that went speed of light or something like that. And um, yeah. so I, I don't want to repeat that whole conversation. Sure. Um, but I, I think we, we would probably end up at, at the same point, even uh, trying to defend the, the clam in that uh, if the universe did turn out to be uh, self-caused, it is outside of our concept of, of time. So calling it irrational mm. doesn't really work because ir irrational only works within our universe and within our... It sure, I think... It's irrational that... to us completely different rules. So just because it's irrational within our universe doesn't make it impossible because it's outside of our universe. Sure. But then in that case, we can may as well give up being rational in this conversation. If we're going to say, I mean, I, I'm, my assumption is that we're trying to think about things as rationally as we possibly can manage. Uh, we, we've all got imperfect knowledge, haven't we? But yeah. if we're going to just assert irrational things with no evidence, the conversation quickly becomes meaningless, I think. But if, if we're going to assert or posit that something irrational happened, then we'd need some kind of reason to be for that to be compelling at all we'd need some kind of reason uh, but aren't you really otherwise we may really as well say anything but aren't you really appealing when you say rational here mm. it sounds to me like what you're appealing to is intuition because in some sense part of what we're part of what we're sticking over here is the fact that we can't get outside the universe and test what made it right we, we right. are on this ride and and right now we're no clo we're, we're not very close to a stop right we're, we're going to be on mm. this ride for a while and, and, and we can't look outside mm. so the argument that you're really making is not an argument based on rationality it's an argument based on intuition and i am willing to say at this point that we simply don't have the same intuition about the nature of the universe so when you talk about self-cause and you say it's irrational uh, i think about things that are self-referencing that mm -hmm. happen all the time and so i don't i don't think that self-reference is irrational in in any way although it might be the case that it is foreign to our intuition. So if I said, what is your intuition about neutrinos? Or pick something else. It doesn't have to be neutrinos. It doesn't have to be something that's uh, obscure, right? If I asked you what your intuition was about um, Lebanese food and you and you never had any, mm -hmm. you know, your intuition might or might not be wrong about sure. some food. And, and so I'm not sure that it's fair to characterize Matthew's position as irrational, though it might be counter to your intuition. Yeah, well, I'm, pre I'm, pre 
prepared to accept. Yeah, I'm prepared to accept a rationalist description. The reason why I'm prepared to um, accept it, and uh, I, I apologies for stepping into where you said was wasn't probably a good place to go, Dave. But mm. uh, I think we have no choice but to consider uh, what. I, well, no, I'll rephrase that because of the context of where we are and what it is that we're trying to identify is completely outside of that context. It is going to be alien, and so it is whether we like it or not. It is going to be irrational. Um, so uh, why, why, why like, well, because it's not going to it's not going to obey anything that we any kind of rule or or law or behaviour state that we are familiar with by the sheer nature of it being outside of it's going to be outside of our universe, outside mm-hmm. of our time reference, um, into an existence of nothing. Um, yeah. I think that's not but, the same so saying it, it must be irrational though. I don't see how it could any be anything spaceless. but irrational. Uh, spaceless, timeless, it must be irrational, not necessarily. I don't think. Uh, okay, why, why, well, must, why must we? Well, like, that? well, because it's not something that we can explain. It what, whatever it is, whatever happened, uh, whether it was a cause or not a cause, mm. it will be something that we that is not just new to us, but the process by which it works will be new to us. So yeah. it won't fit beyond with, us. I would say perhaps, uh, yeah. or more powerful than we are. Certainly, I, I'm prepared to so it'll 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 behave so outside of our field of rationality it can only be irrational that's 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 the the logic flow that i'm going to it doesn't matter whether that is god or quantum fluctuation or anything in between yeah behavior is going to be irrational to our now i suppose my hesitation with that word is because irrational is a negative isn't it it's it's something that's not rational and that's uh it's derogatory as well perhaps like i maybe i'd prefer the word um, super rational or something just on, operating on a completely different level than we do okay um, I, I, I understand your objection to that word now okay yeah I, I wasn't trying to use it in a negative connotation I was trying to use it as or, or non-rational you know because it was outside the bad time if you want to call it super rational I'm, I'm prepared to accept that as a uh, as a descriptor um, yeah it has to be beyond our way of understanding I would think yeah so that's basically the road I was going down yeah I can agree with that of using irrational but mm. yeah if you want to use a, a placeholder instead of a rational, I'm prepared to accept that. Mm. Um, golly, we, we, we agreed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, so where would we go to next then? Um, you mentioned nothing. Andrew, was there anything you wanted to chip in on? Hello, Andrew, are you there? Have we lost Andrew? Oh. I'm, I'm here now. I, uh, I was out of the call, uh, Dave, right where you started your response. Okay. That, that's all right. We'll, we'll move on then. So uh, unless there's anything, I was going to move on to descriptions of nothing unless there was anything you wanted to say uh, Dave no that's fine yeah because, let's keep going yeah because nothing again I think is something where we get very it's, I think nothing is probably the stickiest point around the, the, the clan clock although the clan itself doesn't specify nothing at, at any point in, in its uh, in its flow um, no, just it, beginning. It, it does follow it, it, it's almost an, uh, a pre-taken assumption that uh, beginning to exist means that whatever was before the beginning was nothing and I mm. think we Sometimes the conversations, and specifically the conversations between atheists and uh, Christians at IC Online, they often get really stuck down on uh, on, on nothing and in, in definitions of nothing. And it mm. sometimes, to me, um, take a very brief tangent. It feels like descriptions um, of when when people talk about theories and people say, "Well, you know, a theory just means that you, you think it might work like that." And then someone else says, "Well, no, in science, theory means something different." And I, I think that the descriptions of nothing is a little bit like that. And when you say to nothing to somebody nothing, you might you, you more the, the thing that we think of is not a single atom of any kind.
kind of thing exists within that, that sphere. There can be no reaction, there can be no, no mm. move, or uh, n- no thing will move through that. Not a light beam, not a field of gravity, or a magnetic wave, or anything will, will travel. Mm. And, um, and I, no sphere either. Yes. Um, <laughs> through which things might move. Quite, and no edge either. No. Uh, and I think when cosmologists are talking about nothing in terms of uh, the before the start of the universe, and I'm slapping myself already because we had this whole long dialogue yes, uh, last time about before and temporal stuff, and I, yeah. I, I feel we're going to twist ourselves again. Uh, but when cosmologists talk about nothing in that context, they don't necessarily mean that. You know, the quantum foam uh, is, uh, I, I, be, I understand, I was going to say believe there, um, mm. I, I understand if my understanding is correct, which it could be faulty. My understanding is that the quantum foam uh, is assumed to, or maybe assume isn't the right word either, uh, is assumed to exist in that period of nothing. Um, and I think the, the nothing, uh, coming out of nothing, doesn't necessarily mean that there is no thing there, but it effectively is saying that the cause was practically a self-cause, so you could have a quantum foam with quantum fluctuations, which are self-cause, and that potentially still meets the criteria of nothing caused the universe, if you see what I mean. Um, yeah, the, it, with respect, it sounds like nonsense to me. So, the, um, nothing. I agreed with your first definition of nothing, where you said it was basically nothing. I don't think it's a complicated yeah. to define. Um, but then we started talking about quantum foam and quantum fluctuations. That doesn't sound like nothing to me. And I maybe I, I agree. However short my however inferior my understanding of those things are, I know we're talking about something and not nothing. I agree. Um, but the more I look into the, the cosmological descriptions of inverted commas nothing, mm. the more I the more I get the feeling that they don't mean nothing in a traditional sense. And yeah, I think absolutely. for example, um, I think the best way that I can understand it, this may or may not be helpful to you and the listeners but this is how I kind of understand it imagine you've got a classroom and you've got a teacher in front of the classroom and he's looking student and he's got a tank a fish tank full of water nothing else in it just water mm. uh, full to the brim and sat on the table next to the tank is a glass and he holds up the glass and he says to the class what's in this glass and they say nothing and he looks and goes yeah I agree he then tips the glass upside down puts it into the tank of water and says why isn't that glass full of water and they say because it's full of air but I thought you said there was nothing in the glass mm. Um, so I think it that kind of nothing. Yeah, I think it's a completely different kind of nothing. <laughs> I think so, it's actually nothing. <laughs> so so let me ask you a question, Dave, because I'm I'm a little confused. Mm. Um, and and I'm not sure how you're thinking of um, the cause. So I know what you mean by nothing. Mm. I think I would uh, it, when I think of nothing in my head, we probably think of it the same way. We're not we're not talking about something that potentially has small fluctuation. We're mm-hmm. not talking about some zero point energy that, that might do something very small but eventually interesting like dividing itself into a positive and negative potentials mm. or uh, a nothing that somehow develops a field that can that can have fluctuations and therefore so so mm. I understand what you mean by nothing um, however right. if, if it is a contradiction to say that from nothing nothing can come mm-hmm. then surely it is a contradiction to say that from nothing nothing comes and any attempt to argue out of that is just special pleading. So let me ask you then, 
what do you think is a sufficient cause that can call that can call some from absolutely nothing? I said this in our last show. Mm. I am I am not sure that all of the argumentation in the world can get us to a resolution of that contradiction. If you say that there is a potential nothing, and I said I'm not sure that something has a necessary opposite. You know, this universe has a necessary opposite that is the absolute nothing that I think we're trying to find. So what can possibly call something from an absolute nothing? Yeah, what a brilliant question. And I think it's God. I have no idea. <laughs> I, well, don't, I don't think it's God. How does God answer that question? So if in what way is it possible for God to be insufficient, to have created a genuine beginning of our space-time universe? God, by definition, is all the qualities required to do that. Spaceless, timeless, immaterial, immeasurably powerful, all those things. So, I mean, if it's not... Hold on. If it's not, but it's something an awful lot like him. Okay, no, let's let's back up. Spaceless, timeless. Mm-hmm. What does all powerful mean? And immeasurably no powerful. What, this is the super rational thing Matthew was getting at. So operating well, in a way that's way beyond and above our imagination and knowledge. Okay, but I have absolutely no reason to think that being all powerful solves the problem of logical contradiction. Ah, I see, yeah, I see what you mean. So what I'm doing is I, I personally don't believe that at the point of our universe's beginning that there was absolutely nothing. I don't believe that, do I? I'm a Christian. I believe God was there. But what I'm saying is the alternative, if you're going to say that for anyone who says that God does not exist or, and never has, the alternative is uh, is that our uni- we have to assert without God's existence or without some kind of um, cause that has those God-like qualities, we have to assert that our universe had a definite beginning in the finite past from absolutely nothing. And that's what I find to be irrational. So I would, so the alternative is irrational. I'm not arguing for something from nothing without a cause. I'm arguing for something from nothing with an incredibly powerful spaceless timeless cause. Uh, now that sounds like God to me, but again, that's another argument. I think you need other other things to get you there. But uh, what I'm refuting is spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful. I think you could add other things, but I mean, that'll but do for now. Even <laughs> if it, don't those descriptors match whatever was there anyway, whether it was God or whether it was inverted commas natural? Yes, those... I agree. Yeah, absolutely. So in this whole, um, I think because I'm a Christian and you guys aren't, you, you keep slipping into the argument for and against the Christian God. And that's not what I'm, that's not the position I'm arguing at all in right. any of this. I'm arguing for a cause that is those things. And and I think we all agree about that, actually. I, I, again, otherwise, one of us, one of one of you at some points would be saying, no, there's no cause. Uh, it just spontaneously began, began from nothing. No one's saying that. And I think because we realise that's a silly thing to say. Uh, so well, I think hold on. We, I think there are problems in a different place. Mm. I think the problems are very, very good. The, you've, you have now said that there was some and there was nothing. Uh, now, no. So I, so you said there was like there them. was not a universe. Sorry. Just correct me where I go wrong because mm-hmm, this, mm-hmm. is, this is where I think the, the, the issue lies. Yeah. There is not a universe. There is no physical existence. There's no matter. There's no subatomic particles. There's no positive and negative. We have absolutely yeah, no space or time. Right. There is a something and that something has the power to create space and time and subtype, you know, the whole yeah. the whole ball of wax. Now, there's a contradiction here. That contradiction is if it is true that from nothing, nothing can come. Mm-hmm. Power doesn't solve that problem. Yeah, I see what you mean. So the word something is weak there, isn't it? Because when you when you say something, I think it's God. And he's um, something implies uh, perhaps matter again, which is unhelpful because we know there's no space or time. And I and I think God is not physical uh, or bound by space and time. He mm. created space and time. Uh, but also I'm not I'm 
I'm not arguing. Uh, I'm not arguing that at the point of its beginning um, there was nothing. I believe God was there. Um, my my challenge is to people who would say there is no cause. Um, then because we know that our universe had a definite beginning in the finite past, uh, that to, to say that there was absolutely nothing, uh, I think, is irrational. Um, do, do you see what I'm saying? We, we know our universe began. We know our space-time universe began to exist. Sure. And I'm saying for that to have happened must have taken an incredibly powerful spaceless timeless cause and if, we're saying, if anyone wants to say no it didn't need that at all to get started I find it very difficult to rationalize that it just spontaneously began without a cause so I get that all the way down and and so I think again the only difference between you and I is intuition so when we rewind the clock 13.8 billion years and we get back to the Big Bang I think I said the last time around mm. I don't get the sense that we collapse to absolutely not right I I don't have the intuition that the Big Bang comes from the absolute nothing that I, that we were trying to define a few seconds ago right I, I don't get the sense that there is such a thing as absolutely nothing and I also don't get the sense that it takes a conscious power and by and, and I'm not trying to pin the Christian God to you here I'm accepting mm-hmm. that we are only talking about sufficient causes and what attributes we pin to that sufficient cause right mm-hmm. So spaceless and timeless, maybe in the sense that we think of a three-dimensional space and time, right? Mm-hmm. All powerful. That doesn't get us. Well, it gets and so, time started. Well, but it may not take all power to get time started. No, I think but, me and Matt were meaning that they're just more powerful than you and I. I don't know that it takes something more powerful than you and I because I don't I can't know. <laughs> I don't well, know. Probably takes, well, probably minute, takes the entirety of the universe in power to create the universe. Mm. Well, but that doesn't mean all power. No, it means and, more powerful than us. I think. Well, well, it may just mean a trick that we can't do. It may it may simply mean something that we can't do yet. Yeah, yeah, you can do a lot with that word. Yes, I think. Well, you can do a lot with the word all power. The words all powerful too, like call something from absolutely nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, but now I, I'm not trying to be disingenuous. That sounds snarky. No, that's okay. no, yeah, I'm, I'm not being snarky. I think we put our finger on the difference and we're just trying to crack. Yeah. I think the question is how did space and time begin? Sure. And I would say God created it. Um, and, um, or at the very least, I would say something incredibly powerful, uh, that's spaceless and timeless created space and time. And then the alternatives to those two, I start to go, nah, none of them really make sense. They all sound like nonsense to me. <laughs> self-created but, sounds like nonsense. Um, but isn't God self-created? No, he didn't have a beginning. Well, no okay. Christian believes that God had but, a beginning like the universe did. Okay, but that's that's just an equivocation though. The problem the problem with saying no uh, to this question about God and, and a beginning mm. is, okay, fine, you said the universe can't do this trick that you say God does, which is last forever. And yeah. in, order, in order to demonstrate that, you have to prove that God can do this trick you say the universe hasn't done. And to get there, you say, but we rewind the, the universe 13.8 years and we get to nothing. But you don't you don't actually believe in that. And so we haven't gotten to that nothing that you think God was able to pull something from. Yes. So I'm, I, be, 
believe in the I believe there was um, an absence of space and time before it began. So that's the kind of nothing I believe in. God was there and there was not yet space and time. I believe in that kind of a nothing. And uh, we know that our universe had a beginning. This is the thing. This is why everyone's asking these, these kinds of questions is because we now know scientifically that our universe had a definite beginning in the finite past. Atheists didn't always believe that. Atheists uh, used to believe that the universe was past eternal. And then okay. Hubble and his telescope and his redshift and, and those kinds of things empirically demonstrated that the space-time universe had a beginning in the finite past. Sure. And so I'd that's like where the questions come I'd from. Like to, um, How did that begin? How did that begin? Slightly. Um, mm. The universe in its current state had a definite beginning. Mm-hmm. That's my thought as well. The space-time um, universe? Is that what you mean? Or something yes, else? This is, no, yeah, there's the space-time universe. Um, that's what I mean too. Yeah, so the, um, the, there's, I, I need to be careful because I'm talking way, way above my pay grade here. Mm. Um, but I think there is potentiality that the universe or the contents or what, what, what makes up the universe existed prior mm-hmm. uh, and so that the universe didn't spontaneously a- appear out, out of or rather what crumbs. The English language is so useless at describing what it is that I want to say. Um, <laughs> but it's fun to watch no, you I, use, though. I think I know what you mean. <laughs> you, you know, I, I know what you mean. The, the totally. The constituent parts, the ingredients of the universe existed prior to the, the Big Bang. And the, the Big Bang is just this current stage, what triggered this current stage of the universe. Yeah. So you could use that to, I'm going to use the word, I'm going to, we, to weasel in an eter- past eternal universe. I know I'm going to regret using that yeah. word. Yeah, no, that's um, fine though, I think. Because uh, if you want to say that there's, there's a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, immeasurably powerful cause of the space-time universe, and that cause with those qualities is not the Christian God, and it might be instead uh, a pre-existing spaceless, timeless, powerful universe that created space and time. I I think that sounds quite rational. You know, I I'd go with that. Um, so I, I what you're doing that is applying those qualities to uh, another cause, and you're saying the cause isn't um, the Christian God. The cause is uh, a pre-existing spaceless, timeless universe. And I think that's completely rational. I think that's fine. I don't think it's right for other reasons, <laughs> but I think it, it completely follows the logic of the Kalam cosmological argument. And it applies the qualities of that cause to a pre-existing universe instead of something else. But it's still talking okay, sure. about a cause, isn't it? Right. So I don't know that... Question, okay, now you go, Andrew. So I was gonna... oh, sorry, this is this is my very last comment on time. Mm. Um, so I don't have the intuition that we rewind the clock 13.8 billion years and time ceases to exist. I do have the intuition that I think Matthew was angling at. So Matthew, correct wrong. But uh, when we rewind... 13.8 billion years, we we get to a point where our clock starts, but we don't necessarily get to a point where the clock starts. It, we just get to a point where we start reading the clock, right? And that's a very different thing from whether the singularity that created this universe experienced any duration. Now, the truth is, we simply don't know, and I don't think I don't think it's fair to apply our intuition to something that we can't get before, right? That just means that we're not there yet. And so you say spaceless and timeless. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea what that could mean other than nothing. Yeah, that's the one thing that we know uh, it's think, not, though, isn't it? Uh, it's 
we know it's not nothing. Do we? Otherwise, how, how space and time would not have... Well, because space and time began to exist, and logically, I think, out of nothing, nothing comes. <laughs> I just... But I just addressed... If it really was nothing, <laughs> if it really was nothing and no spaceless, timeless agent was there, then there would not be a beginning of space and time. Because there oh, was wait, no what do you mean by agent? Sorry, sorry. I that, mean, that was really interesting, the, the word I'm agent. Using, I'm using agent instead of cause, I guess, there. If there's no cause, then there's no beginning of space time. I think. And since we have a beginning of space and time, I think there's a spaceless, timeless cause. Because logically, out of nothing, nothing comes. But because some, something has come from nothing, space time universe has. And so that nothing. Um, but it hasn't come from nothing. Are, are, you, nothing plus are you including in nothing the, um, the, the potentiality of the universe being in a different form? Yes, it's spaceless, timeless form. Uh, I think. I don't think. Because un have, under the conversation we had earlier about nothing, you disqualified the. Whereas yeah, I'm sorry. I've probably, um, probably fallen into the trap of saying nothing when really what I mean is nothing plus a spaceless, timeless cause. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't intend you to do that, but if you if you want to jump in, then uh, yeah. <laughs> so be it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was going to say. Um, yeah. So I was asking the question of how how do we know? And I think this mm. is where where we're going to before because when we were talking before, you were uh, saying how you appreciated the value of philosophy and uh, Kalam is one such philosophical argument mm -hmm. um, and um, I appreciate the value that philosophy gives us because it enables us to have this conversation and it enables us to think about what, what could be, what might be, what co what, what consequences are um, mm. and, and it gives us that the, um, the methodology for lack of a better word of thinking through and talking through these ideas um, but, but that, and I, I appreciate those values but that's where it, that's where its usefulness stops. It can't tell us with any certainty at all which of our ideas are right which of idea of our ideas are utterly nonsense which of our ideas are irrational in a bad way mm. and, and and that kind of thing so at what point would you Dave say yeah. okay I've done enough thinking now I need to put something to the test because I suspect that I would probably stop before you would okay um, I think I understand the question I think there's three words that help me understand what a person like me needs in order to be convinced as a Christian. Uh, number one is um, evidence, and I think there's all different kinds of evidence. Uh, the logical, philosophical realm is part of that evidence, I think. Obviously, there's scientific evidence and things as well, and there's historical evidence as well, and I'm thinking particularly of Jesus, but also archaeological stuff that just confirms some of the things in the Bible, and we know that's imperfect, but it helps. Um, that evidence is part of why a Christian would be a Christian, I think. Um, experience is another uh, the second word experience is something that helps me be convinced uh, about Jesus uh, and particularly the Christian God of the Bible um, and my experience of a relationship with him and what he's done in our lives and the third thing the third word would be explanation and by that I mean the Christian explanation for the way things are in our world um, not only the existence of our world but the existence of suffering and human compassion and longing for something better uh, lots of things the, the Christian explanation of all that is um, I think is something that convinces Christians when compared to alternative explanations of the way things are and why they are the way they are so uh, evidence experience and explanation uh, are three things that convince me about my Christian faith um, 
So uh, that's going way beyond the Kalam cosmological argument. But those are the th- those are the types of things that get me beyond it. Um, does that I help understand. at all? It, it, do, it does, yes. Um, uh, I, I was thinking more specifically uh, about our conversation about the beginning of the universe, but I, I appreciate the reply. Um, for, forgive me if this sounds uh, uh, a little pointed. It isn't intended to be. That's okay. um, it's, um, would it be fair to say, or, or would, would it be... I'm, I'm, I'm fighting to be as non-combative as I can in this question, but I appreciate the danger that it poses. Don't worry, um, you can say it. It's all right. <laughs> is, um, uh, how would you respond to, to the accusation that you only think that there is a God behind the universe because you're you're already you're already convinced of a God through other means? Therefore, you're placing God in a position where you've no right to place a God because we haven't got anything to um, suggest that there could be. And if you're in my position as not a believer, you wouldn't be following down the route and going, "Haha, there's a God there." But you're only saying, "Haha." there's a god there because something else has led you down the road there could be am i making sense yeah that makes sense and so you'd have to ask questions about the validity of that something else wouldn't you and so it's a cumulative case isn't it uh, the kalam is part of it it's not enough um but it's part of it and there are other things like i mentioned ex- my and my experiences are completely personal to me aren't they i can't bottle those and give them to someone else um they work for me i wouldn't for a minute think they would work for anyone else necessarily i can tell my story and it might be compelling but it's that's not going to be the same as someone else experiencing the love of God for themselves. Um, and so you'd have to ask questions. I, I don't because think somebody, necessarily... if I can briefly interrupt, if um, yeah. somebody else who's got different experiences who mm. accept or believes in a completely different God, you know, it could be any God, pick a God, one that one that, that other people believe in or even one that's completely imaginary, yeah. they would impose that same God as the God that created the universe using the Kalam cosmological argument. Yeah, so, so if somebody is coming already with the um, pre-conclusion that the uni- however the universe came to be it came to be by that God mm. when they look at the Kalam they'll go oh, there you see there's my God <laughs> yeah I see what you're saying um, which is why I've been quite careful not to use the Kalam uh, as an argument for the existence of the Christian God I don't think yeah, it is I understand that. Um, it's not that at all that's consistent with the existence of the Christian God I think but that doesn't mean it's him uh, you need other pieces of evidence to come to that conclusion and the Kalam plus my own personal experiences wouldn't be enough either for the example for the reason you've just given of the example of someone else experiencing the love of a different god in their experience and they'd look at the kalam and say oh that's my god um those two things by themselves aren't enough to be a convincing case i would say for the christian god at least not for anyone else um so we'd need to we need all sorts of things that together make a cumulative case i don't think it's necessarily a negative thing to say that um when i look at the kalam and i think ah that's the christian god uh, it's not necessarily a negative thing to say that I've got to that conclusion because of lots of other things if lots of those other things are valid pieces of, of evidence if they're all subjective wishful thinking or intuition of mine then yeah it'd be a weak case and I'd be jumping the gun but if it was a cumulative case that I could articulate to others and they could understand and appreciate it could be an incredibly strong case for the existence of the Christian God and the Kalam cosmological argument would be one piece of that uh, argument um, do, do you see what I mean? I mean, the, the way you've said um, you've, because of lots of other things, imposed it on the Kalam, uh, another way of saying that would be to say that we should follow the evidence where it leads. Uh, we need a lot of evidence. We need to question everything and explore it with an open mind and then follow the evidence where it leads. And there'll be lots of factors going towards making up our minds about whether there's a God or not and which God it is, if there is one. Um, but that's what we should do. We should consider all the evidence and draw conclusions based on the cumulative effects of that. Dave, can I ask you a yes. question? 
about the Kalam uh, and and our conversation. Mm. Um, so no, I, I don't think this will be offensive. Uh, there's no snark in this question at all. Sure. When when I listen back in my head to the conversation we've had over Kalam, it hasn't convinced me that there needs to be a God to explain it, the universe, right? It should not. No, no, <laughs> right, and, and I'm not, but you may have a, an entirely different response to the Kalam, that the Kalam is reasonable evidence, that, that there is some conscious prime move. When I listen back in my head to that conversation, the Kalam doesn't get me there at all. It doesn't get me on the path to looking for a conscious prime mover. I agree. I completely agree with that. Okay. All right. So if, if we agree then, then I'm trying to understand why the Kalam is evidence for you that there might be a God. Yes. So you use the phrase uh, said, conscious no prime mover. That's okay. No, uh, none, none taken. So you use the phrase conscious prime mover, and I don't think the Kalam gets you there. It gets you to spaceless, timeless, powerful prime mover. Um, it doesn't even have to be a personal being, I don't think. It just has to be a spaceless, timeless, powerful cause. And there are a number of possible causes that might have those attributes, not just the Christian God. Uh, so it doesn't it doesn't get you to the Christian God. It doesn't even get you to the conscious prime mover. We'd need other pieces of evidence or argument to get us that far. So I think perhaps we agree there. Yeah, it, it sounds like it. Um, the Kalam doesn't get me to... It hasn't gotten me to spaceless and timeless, and it hasn't gotten me to, to more powerful than you and I in, in any meaningful sense that there is a wilder of spaceless, timeless power, if you mm. see what I mean. So we disagree. And yeah. Yeah, but, but I don't think that's any big surprise, right? Because we were hitting around it all through the show, I, I think. Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so haven't we pretty much ended up at a point where whatever it is that um, initiated the Big Bang mm -hmm. um, meets the criteria of the Kalam cosmological argument? Then? Is there anything that has been posed that doesn't meet the Kalam cosmological argument? Perhaps um, Andrew's um, comments about there being some kind of space and time before there was space and time that probably that probably goes against what we're saying with the Kalam. Uh, but, but <laughs> when you say Kalam, that back to me it sounds you sick. talked about a clock <laughs> at one point he, he well, did I, but, I, I no, said but it was temporally confusing too right? yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I would call that special pleading because it's quite clear from the way that the Kalam is laid out that it's actually talking about the context of how we experience space and time yeah it's all we've got to go on isn't it yeah so basically where I'm going is if everything meets the Kalam cosmological argument, then the Kalam mm. cosmological argument has no explanatory power at all and is pretty much useless. That was my thought as well. Mm, no, because the one thing it refutes is the one thing we three would never say and haven't said in this conversation, which is that our universe came into existence uncaused. None of us are arguing for that. Well, I think I did. People, I, people I'm, do. I'm, this, I'm, prepared to, I'm prepared to accept that self-caused comes under the category of uncaused. Uh, I am too. Okay. I talked about self-referentiation and, and I also talked about duration prior to Big Bang that we can't measure. That doesn't mean there was no duration. Yeah, that's okay. simply that simply means the power of the Kalam. I think would be that it refutes that kind of a conclusion that our also, universe came into ex that our universe caused itself to exist. I think that um, I think it's irrational. But you but you think that there's an uncaused cause outside? The sure, and we have no evidence that it began to exist. So it's completely different from our universe. Well, wait a minute. We have um, there's a <laughs> As far as I can tell, we don't have any evidence for God. Uh, the the well, Kalam, the Kalam didn't the, get us there. No, no, it's only a part of it. Um, but I'm saying the Kalam isn't arguing for God. It, all it's doing is saying our, our space-time universe began to exist, and we do know that our universe began, our space-time universe began to exist. We do know that. Um, and so it's saying, how did our space-time universe begin to exist? Um, and the answer is there must be a cause. That's what it's arguing for, isn't it? It's 
arguing for a cause. The conclusion is, therefore, the universe has a cause. Oh, but now, wait a minute. William, Cl- William Lane Craig's discussion of the Kalam, and uh, I asked at the beginning if that was the, mm. the form of the Kalam that you prefer, mm. as William Lane Craig actually says that the Kalam demonstrates a God. So, no, he doesn't say that. He, yeah, he he's got a four-premise. He had things on. Uh, David uh, was saying that right at the beginning where he said that William Lane Craig had, uh, includes the Kalam with uh, additions, and David well, try- is basically using it without William Lane Craig's additions. Right. No, well, William Lane Craig, like well, hold on. William Lane Craig absolutely does have a version of the Kalam. William Lane Craig absolutely does have a version of the Kalam. Yeah, he does. Where he says that the Kalam demonstrates God. No, he doesn't say that, though. I know it very well. He doesn't say that. So what William Lane Craig um, says is that the cause must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, immeasurably powerful, and some other things too. Uh, then he says, much like God. He doesn't say it He also includes God. personal. He uses something to throw personal into it as well. Yeah, he may do that. But he doesn't um, say it must be God. He says it's much like God, which is why throughout this conversation I've said, if it's not God, it's something an awful lot like him. Okay, but now we're just equivocating over a word. We are, because I think we all... There's nothing but equivocation. Right. There's nothing but equivocation. Um, William Lane Craig uses the Kalam to argue for God. Now, you can you can back off and say, well, but he's not he's not saying God. He's just saying something like God. Yeah, oh, that's what he's okay, saying. Okay. Um, so let me just ask you this. If it's not God, if it's something like God that is not God, what attributes do you subtract to make it something like God that's not God? Oh, I wouldn't subtract. Why would you subtract? I mean, if the Kalam gets you to those qualities, why would you get rid of them? But, but that's it what has I'm to saying. Be if you're saying time. right, but if you're saying that time, there are no qualities, sure, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. But if you say that it's something like God, but it's not God, mm-hmm. and then I say, what attributes do you subtract to get to something that's like God that's not God? And you say, but there are no God attributes that you subtract, then it's God. No, well, if you want to get there, you can if you like. I'm happy for you to believe in God, but I would say that's irrational. I would say don't subtract any of the qualities that that cause must have because of the Kalam cosmological argument. If it must have them. Then it must have them. Um, now there's dispute there, but I think it at least has to be spaceless and timeless. And if you want to say that it's not God, but it's something that's spaceless and timeless, the same as God, uh, with those qualities, then I think that's fine. I don't have a problem with that at all. That you don't have to subtract those qualities to say that it's something less than God. Um, well, if it's not God, then it's not God. It's just something else with those qualities. Okay. So what are some of the qualities of God? Uh, consciousness. Sure, but none uh, of this is in the Kalam. Okay, but what I said was it's in the Bible. You could go there if you like. Well, wait a minute. So I asked if the Kalam argued toward a God. You said no, it argues towards something like a God. A cause is what it argues for, isn't it? That therefore, the universe has cause is the conclusion of the Kalam. But just in the last couple of minutes, you mm-hmm. said, oh, but that does that does get us to a God. No, That's what we've been talking about. No, it didn't say that at all. Well, I've been saying William Lane Craig doesn't say that, and I've been saying that I don't either. Okay. I have other reasons for saying it, but the Kalam isn't my reason for, for saying that there must be a God. Okay. Does the Kalam get us to something like a God? Uh, uh, yeah, I think you could say that. Something okay, like that. That's, Spaceless time. That's where we course, got on it. Yeah. Okay. And then I said, mm-hmm. okay, but if it's something like a God, but mm-hmm. it's not God, what yeah. attributes do you subtract? Yeah, well, that's where it leaves you. That's where it leaves you. Okay, Spaceless okay time so, we, so we can subtract consciousness right away, right? It's, it's never because, isn't. Kalam doesn't okay. get you consciousness. Right. So it's not like a God because a God is conscious. Oh, I see. Now, okay, I see where we've gone wrong. So I think the Kalam gets us to saying that there's a cause of our universe and that that cause must be space 
spaceless and timeless. Now, I think that God is spaceless and timeless. He's lots of other things too, but not because right. the Kalam argument says so. So you don't have to subtract any of the qualities that the Kalam says the cause must have, because all the Kalam says the cause must have is spaceless and timeless. Right. Now, but I think what I'm God saying is... things too. I think God is good as well. He's morally good and he's a personal agent as well. He's lots of things. He's my father and other things too. I think he's my savior. But the Kalam doesn't get you anywhere near those things. Right. Why? And so it doesn't get me to anything like a God. Yeah, only in the sense that uh, spaceless and timeless is like God. So if it's not God, it's something that's spaceless and timeless like he is. Not necessarily all the other things as well. I never said that. <laughs> well, okay, but, but that's actually... So I understand, and not trying to create undue confusion, here. Mm-hmm. But if all we're trying to get to is, oh, well, it's space and time, yep. then that doesn't appear, even from a William Lane Craig perspective, mm. to get us to it's something like a god. Look, my car is gray and it has glass. Sure. But I can describe all sorts of things around that have both gray and glass, and they're nothing like my car. Yeah. <laughs> what do you know that's uh, spaceless and timeless? Well, we've talked about that. As far as we can tell, quantum co- uh, quantum foam is spaceless and timeless. Sure. And and you push field though, aren't we? <laughs> Say that again. We're talking about a much narrower field. Well, uh, but if we're talking about a much narrower field, we're not talking about because sure. right now, because we're not right now. <laughs> the Kalam doesn't. Uh, right, the Kalam doesn't get us to a god. So how does it get us to being evidence for a god? It doesn't, and I never said it did. Well, but you're arguing for sufficient cause, and you said that the Kalam was part of your toolbox for accepting Christianity. Am I am I right? That uh, part of it, yeah. Okay. But if you're working toward a, a, a God mm. that is spaceless and timeless, mm-hmm. the Kalam didn't get you there. No, it didn't. That's why I said it's part of it and not the whole thing. It's a well, okay. And the Kalam is one small part of it. It's a significant part, but it's a part. And it's not the whole reason I'm a Christian. That would be ridiculous. No. Right, no, I, I get that. Mm. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to understand how if the Kalam only suggests something spaceless and timeless, mm. how you take that and apply it to the God you believe. Right. I mean, I, are you asking why do I believe that God is spaceless and timeless? Sure. Yes, absolutely. Um, so there would be several reasons I believe that about God. Uh, one reason would be, um, the God of the Bible is described that way as, uh, spaceless and timeless, immaterial, eternal, without beginning, without end those kind of qualities the Alpha and Omega um, all of that so the Bible mm-hmm. describes him that way there's lots of questions I need to ask before I'm convinced that the Bible is true but that's the God that's described there at least so that's one reason um, and another would be the Kalam uh, the Kalam I think confirms that the cause of this space-time universe is spaceless and timeless and so that would be another small part of the puzzle again it doesn't get me to God by itself but it also doesn't uh, clash with uh, the other reasons I believe it was God uh, it's another small small thing that confirms that it's something spaceless and timeless, um, as God is. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know if you remember the beginning of this conversation. Uh, the question I asked that got us here was, how could this universe have come into existence uncaused? And how is any answer to this question not itself a description of a cause? Um, and throughout, I mean, we've been down some useful rabbit holes in this conversation. I've really appreciated it. But I think we essentially agree that the, uni- the space-time universe had a definite beginning in the finite past and that it had a spaceless, timeless core. Uh, we've posited various things. I've suggested that it could be God. Um, Matthew has suggested that it could be some kind of self-caused universe. Uh, some, and there's some mystery there which I don't understand. Um, there's some kind of pre-existing part
past eternal universe that could be space, spaceless, timeless and satisfy the Kalam as well. But none of us at any point are saying it just began. There was no cause at all. Now, that's the only thing that I sort of set out to refute, really. And I don't think any of us want to uphold it anyway. So, um, well, there's plenty that we disagree on. I think we agree on the answer to the question I asked, which is it couldn't. It couldn't have come into existence uncaused. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've heard you say that. <laughs> Um, we have pushed back. Matthew, are you still there? I haven't heard you in a while. Yes, I, I am still here. I'm still struggling a little bit with uh, signal quality, but I'm still here. I am too. Uh, Dave, I just lost you through all of that response. But Sorry. I'm, I'm going to... No, it's it all. We are having some connection issues, apparently, all the way around. Okay. But the the Kalam doesn't, for me, mm-hmm. uh, get to anything other than the universe being a sufficient cause for itself. Now, you say, it's okay, but we... The universe began to exist. That's the second premise. Do you agree with that? Well, it, it can say whatever it wants. Well, um, you've, you've just said you, it gets you to saying, that you've said that the Kalam cosmological argument gets you to saying the universe caused itself to exist. I mean, how uh, what, do you get that from premise no, that's, that's not, not quite what I'm saying is I did push back on what it means to begin to exist. So the Kalam uh, is a discussion of an event that happened 13.8 billion years ago. That's what you're arguing for as the beginning of existence. When we yeah. rewound that, I said pretty plainly, and I'll say again, mm-hmm. when we rewind the clock and the universe shrinks and we get to a singularity, mm-hmm. we don't get to nothing. Uh, right, okay, I'll go with you for now. Right, so the Kalam is a misunderstanding mm-hmm. of beginning because the Kalam is a discussion of something from nothing. I don't think it is, actually. I think it's just saying that our universe began to exist. Okay. That's premise number two. Our universe began to exist. So... Are you disputing that, or...? Well... I'll, I'll say it again. When we rewind 13.8 billion years, we do get to a singularity. Mm-hmm. It is at that. It is at the moment of the expansion of that singularity, the Big Bang, mm-hmm. at which we start marking time. What happened before that is not nothing. So you, you're saying that our universe began to exist, or not? I'm I'm saying that our universe, the clock started the way we measure time sure. at the moment of the first expansion. But when you rewind the clock and you pack all the matter in on itself into a singularity, mm-hmm. that singularity Singularity is not nothing. Yeah, I think we're and, talking two different things here. I'm talking about did our universe begin to exist, and you're just trying to describe what it means for it not to exist at that point, at the at the point of its beginning. So I'm asking, did our universe begin to exist? Uh, are you able to answer yes or no to that? Or um, well, I, I think I, I I answered it in the only way that science can answer, and that is you can't roughly say thir- that. that's fair enough. I mean, that's a valid well, answer, I think. Right, but I but nobody. That's the I can say yes. It definitely began to exist. I'm pretty confident about that. And I'm following okay. the majority of scientific community there, I think. Well, I don't think you are. Um, we, uh, the the majority of the scientific community doesn't talk about uh, nothing and something all-powerful uh, pulling something no, from nothing. That's not what we're talking about, though. We're talking about, did our universe begin to exist? And the majority of the scientific well, community would say that it did. It began to exist. A definite point in the finite past. Space and time began. Sure. But that very same body of, uh, of the scientific community accepts that the universe started from a singularity and not from nothing. Sure. And so, and so, while you're saying that you agree with the majority of the scientific community, you're actually drawing a conclusion that they don't draw. Oh, sure. Because yeah, I'm just talking about premise two right now. Our universe began to exist. I well, and, and, and I'm talking about premise two as well. Mm. And and the way that I'm talking about premise two is actually not only in a way that agrees with your agreement with the scientific community about the expansion of the universe. I'm also going further with that agreement and agreeing that the singularity was not nothing. Um, singularity, to my mind, now I could be wrong because I'm not a scientist and I, I don't want to 
pretend to be an expert there. But yeah, no, singularity, <laughs> singularity sounds like after the beginning of space and time to me. Would you, are you saying that before there was space and time, there was a singularity? Well, as far as we know, when you rewind um, the universe, mm -hmm. you don't get rid of uh, you don't get rid of matter. You are rewinding to a singularity. So we don't. What know do you mean by singularity? The the point that was the Big Bang. Okay, the beginning of space and time. Well, whatever. So the the problem that we're having is that when we rewind the universe and we talk about things getting closer and closer together and smaller and smaller and more and more compact, mm -hmm. uh, at some point it appears that you think all. All of that just disappears. Uh, I mean, we don't actually physically, literally rewind the universe, do we? We're, we're, we're imagining what it was like for it to have begun. Right. So That's what are you really, on, it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and so we when we do it doesn't that, go to nothing. It started. Right. From. It doesn't go. That that was that was what I was getting. Well, it doesn't go back to nothing because time's going forwards, not backwards, isn't it? Um, but when we think backwards, we can see that it began. Space and time began. Well, we can see that there was a moment of expansion and we're still going going through that. Mm. What you appear to be saying is that we rewind and we get down to the moment um, T0, right? Right right before the expansion, whatever that means. And okay. all of this that is matter, the universe that is around us, it not only contracts, at some point disappears. And that is that is against the notion that there was a singularity for the universe to come. Oh, I see what you mean. Uh, yes, it is against that. I would be against that. If you're saying a singularity is a thing, then yeah, because I think our universe, our space-time universe began to exist and then, and before that point there was God plus nothing or spaceless timeless cause plus nothing however you want yeah, to put it yeah. so my intuition doesn't get me there okay. and the reason it doesn't is that you've had to multiply entities to defend this notion of God uh, so we have the, we have a spaceless timeless thing mm -hmm. and you're saying but we needed another spaceless timeless thing no I'm just saying there was something spaceless and timeless okay but then Do you, you want to said, dispute that um well, but didn't you just say, but there was God plus nothing? That's what I think. That's not what the Kalam cosmological argument argues okay, for. Okay, sorry. That's what I was responding to. So, yeah. fair enough. We'll, we'll not follow that track at all. Um, so, yes, my intuition doesn't lead me to rewind the universe. And as things collapse on themselves, get to erase everything. Mm. Now, we, I absolutely agree. So, let <laughs> just say it on the mic. I absolutely agree that the universe as we know the three dimensions that we deal with plus time which mm -hmm. I don't think is fairly called dimension but duration at least mm -hmm. I absolutely agree that the universe that we experience uh, began 13.8 billion years ago mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that when we rewind we get to nothing that just means that we get to a point at which well actually we can't experience well we can't even experience the universe uh, within the first couple million years of its existence even if we could get back that far because it was simply a hot soup. Um, okay. yeah. So in right, so it just because we couldn't ex just because it was in a state that we couldn't experience by talking about it in space and time mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you erase um, the things that eventually made it up. No, I agree. Okay, so, so that was that was all of this to get right there I because think the, space and time began and there was a point before that that was spaceless and timeless. Yeah, as as far as we could experience. It. Well, we don't have um, to be able to experience it. I think it's just logical to assert that there was no space and time
time before there was no space inside. <laughs> I think it's the obvious conclusion to reach. Well, okay, but what is not obvious is that at some point you say we rewind and we get to absolutely nothing plus a god. Uh, yeah, I see. That's not obvious from the Kalam. I'll give you that. Okay, and so um, so good enough. I think mm-hmm. I'm willing to leave it there. That might be good. Um, time's getting on, isn't it? Is, is Matt still? It is. Yes, I, I'm, I'm still here. I'd, I'd like to make a couple of closing marks. Yeah, we're what, one hour 30, so we probably need to start winding up. Yeah, I've um, got to go in a couple of minutes, actually. Um, okay, well, well let's, okay, let's try and make this as brief as possible. Then. Um, I, I do still have a fundamental problem with the Kalam, and I think part of it is the, the Kalam was originally written at a time before the science of today uh, existed, so it's it's not descriptive enough. So mm-hmm. um, the way I would rephrase the Kalam something like um, what, what, whatever changes state needs to have a cause, mm-hmm. the universe changed states, that change of, therefore that change of state had a cause which could also be self-cause. So I would, that's almost okay. a complete rewriting, but <laughs> that, that is... That's really interesting. That is, I quite like it that, as well. Um, so I would accept the Kalam in something along those lines. As the Kalam is now, I think it lacks enough, it lacks, yeah, it, it lacks definition and I think it's, it lacks so much definition that, as I suggested earlier in the conversation, everything meets it, therefore it's meaningless, so it needs to be rethought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, fascinating. That's, that's my summary. Some helpful things there, I think. Right, Andrew, um, is yeah, there I'm, any... I think I'm happy Andrew, do you want to finish up? No, I, I think uh, I think that summary of rewriting club is a is a great place to leave it. Dave, thank you again, and we are going to run this episode out with some music that uh, that is played. And is it also written by your band? Uh, yeah, so I've, I've been in a variety of punk bands over the years. I'm a drummer and a singer, and I write songs as well. Um, and so I'm not in a band right now, but the band I was in was was called In My Name, and so I've just released four songs on iTunes and everywhere else that you get music Spotify and those places as well and it's under the name In My Name that's the band so if you search for In My Name you'll find it um, so yeah there's there's some music to listen to I use the word music loosely it's messy punk songs really um, but yeah we have fun making it so I thought it was quite good and in the show notes there will be a link uh, to your band and the music and with that uh, what is the name of the of the song that we're going to play here yeah it's uh, it's My Bike isn't it and it's uh, 37 seconds long so it's over quickly and it's about road rage I guess and uh, I, I ride my bike everywhere I cycle and frequently um, run into not literally but run into other drivers who um, are just not looking out for people on bicycles and could quite easily kill me if they weren't paying attention so I um, it's a dangerous place to get around on a bike and, and yet I'm quite determined to get around on a bike so it's a song about that Well I certainly agree that we need to pay attention to the people around us. We need to care about the people around us. In fact, in our uh, in our small town, we just had uh, a motorcycle police officer killed because uh, because someone in an SUV pulled out in front of it, just completely unaware mm-hmm. of a cyclist. Now, you know, his, it's not quite the same thing, right? Because it's a motorcycle versus a bike. But the the point is that people that drive cars just are not aware enough of, of things like bikes and motorcycles and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And um, so with that, we are going to finish this episode with my bike. Thank you very much, Dave. I appreciate this song too. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. I better thanks. go. But so, uh, yeah, thanks so much for tonight. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Cheers, right. Thank Man. you. Cool. All the best. Um, Bye. Cheers, Dave. Bye. My bike is the way forward. But you keep knocking me off. It shouldn't be so dangerous. The drivers get too close. Every time I go outside to ride, it never changes. You can kill me with your car if you like. But you'll be dead inside. You're dead inside.
title for that.